0: A map is really a model of the world or any piece of land that, that uh, you're trying to depict. It's not reality, but it's, a, it's a model. So it shows some of the things that are there, it tries to depict them as accurately as possible at that scale, but it's really just a picture of a section of the world. Ever since I was a kid I had maps and there, everywhere I go I, I gather new maps. I'm not sure what the attraction is. I just like to be able to see the land depicted this way. I've always been very curious about where things are and why they're named what they are and how to get from place to place. So I have a a lifelong fascination with maps.
1: I am a person who can take an atlas, a Rand McNally atlas roadmap of the United States and spend hours. Uh, reading and I'll be in one state and then I'll think of something else and go to that state and go over and yeah I love maps. I think they're just fantastic. I like to hold a physical map and then I like to just feel my way through things and I've got a pretty good internal compass so rarely get, get lost.
2: I have bins of maps. In fact just three days ago I threw away an entire bin of maps because I was collecting state and city highway maps all across the U.S. and I realized that that wasn't necessary I like to know exactly how to get places. I like to know the path and I usually draw maps in my head when I'm not given one.
3: We'll have friends over and pull out the maps in the winter time and dream about what a hike is going to be like in the summer. We use maps as a as a form of art for dreaming about the landscape we're going to go visit. You can read a lot into these maps and then it's fun to go and see for yourself what you what you actually find there.
0: Well the first year I was here the superintendent gave me the, the assignment of managing the Yosemite, you know, backcountry areas, and I made a particular map of where I had gone that year. So starting in 1971, you know, I had a, a mark on on the map, and then each year I would indicate in a different color or with a different pattern the trails I had had hiked. I finally gave it up in marking it on in 1994 because there, I didn't have any more colors, and the trails were starting to obscure the other the other areas. At that's the point I, I decided to uh, transfer the information to the computer. This is the, the same map in digital form, but I, I linked it to a, um, a database so that the, all the information that was on the original map can be brought up in, in different themes. So in the area that I was pointing out to before, gives this orange color, which indicates that the trail's been hiked uh, between 33 and 51 times in the 36 years I've been here. But something like this could be used for, you know, when was this trail last maintained? How many times has it been logged in the last 30 years? Uh, Which trails has a superintendent gone on for his inspections?
2: If you enter the park as a visitor, then the things you're concerned about will probably be where are the bathrooms, where are the campsites, where's the visitor center, and where are the key attractions. But if you're a land manager, the maps that you would need, the information that's important, could be entirely different. If you're in charge of managing vegetation, you want to know what types of vegetation are located in what parts of the park. If you have a fire, well, what did did the fire burn? What was there before there was a fire? So you have a a region that is your fire region, and you can overlay it on a region that was vegetation, and you find out, well, the fire was 45% conifer forest and 25% an endangered species that we're very concerned about.
3: When Joseph Walker came through here in 1833, there were no maps. If he was lucky, he was following an Indian trail Otherwise, he was following the terrain. He just read the landscape directly with his eyeballs and let his feet make their own maps. Then in the, uh, the
0: late 1800s or mid 1800s, the geology surveys were very important in, in mapping parts of this here in Nevada, both the, the US Geological Survey and the California Geological Survey. And people like Clarence King and, and Josiah Whitney uh, we're actually commissioned to, to make maps of various parts of the Sierra Nevada, and those are some of the, the
3: earliest detailed maps. It is really a treat to get a, a look at these old maps and just uh, the artwork that went into it and the technology, it's really phenomenal how hard they had to work to make a map that we take for granted today, that we can buy a map for three bucks that shows us really intimate detail, but it started a long time ago with some hard-working, ground-pounding surveyors They put together these really highly technical works of art. So in 1864, the president of the United States signed an act of Congress that created this boundary around the canyon of Yosemite Valley. Uh, And that president was Abraham Lincoln, who established the Yosemite Grant, giving this land, unpatented federal land, to the state of California to manage as a preserve for the purpose of public
1: use, resort and recreation for all time. When that bill was passed and signed by President Abraham Lincoln, uh, we were in the midst, the depths, the worst year of the American Civil War, where casualties numbering two thousand a day uh, were coming back to Washington DC. And the same day he also signed into law an increase in an uh, income tax to help pay for the war that he would hoped would save his country. What it meant is that we began to sense that in the West was our destiny. That's where the, the American future lay.
3: So we're out here in the forest up the back of the rim of Yosemite Valley looking for one of the old historic corner points on the original 1864 Yosemite Grant boundary. Well, so far it's been challenging. I've actually been to this point about 10 years ago with a park historian at the time, but it's hard to find this. And how the surveyors located this point to begin with is a little confusing. We're not sure why they picked a spot that today is hidden in deep woods and not a prominence, not obviously visible from a distance, but uh, it is here somewhere, and that's our quest. Oh yeah, oh my, old Yosemite Grant. This nail here marks the the point that we're at, and we see lines heading off uh, east-west and north-south more or less. This corner here is our current location out here in the woods the old boundary of the 1864 Yosemite Grant.
1: Every line that is a a river or a trail is a real line. Every line that is a border is an arbitrary and in many cases utterly political line. And, And I think we have to be aware of that and as caretakers of the park understand that they ought to be therefore fluid lines. Never shrinking, but always possibly having the ability to enlarge.
0: Well that was part of what uh, led John Muir to propose a larger park as he felt that you know, what went on in the areas outside of the valley had a, an effect on the valley itself. So if the watershed up here were, were being uh, logged or overgrazed that that would affect uh, Yosemite Creek and would affect uh, Yosemite Falls in the valley. Well this map shows the boundaries of the park as they were established in 1890 and then as they were changed in, in the period between 1905 and 1906 you can see the the original 1890 boundary being the the yellow boundary on on the outside it was a a, a large park at that time the Yosemite Valley grant and the Mariposa grove were not part of the part of the national park at that time because they still were part of the uh, state grant
2: the jump between 1864 and 1890 is huge so obviously something happened between 1864 and 1890 that said well this is really important. I mean it was a new idea in 1864 but by 1890 somebody somewhere said, no this is important, we're going to give it a big chunk of land.
0: But in the uh, late 1800s, early 1900s a major from the army uh, was assigned the task of, of surveying the land around Yosemite National Park to see which lands had mineral values, logging values, uh, were difficult to manage. So based on his, his report, uh, much of the minarets uh, was removed from the park because it had uh, minerals. Uh, there are also minerals on, on the west edge of the park.
2: Ecosystems don't follow right angles, and they don't follow straight lines. And so if we're trying to conserve this bit of land, if we're trying to keep it protected, what kind of boundary could we draw that's more natural, that follows the same patterns as these natural resources that we're trying to conserve?
3: To see the contrast between the eastern boundary and the western boundary especially really tells a story. The western boundary are these hard right angles uh, that are arbitrary against the landscape. They don't match up with rivers or hills or slopes or peaks whatsoever, whereas the eastern boundary of the park is this chaotic, sinuous thing, which is the crest of the Sierra Nevada. It is the perfect depiction of the watershed divide. A snowflake on one side of that red line will flow into Mono Lake. Snowflake on the other side will get to uh, come down through Yosemite Valley, so that map of Yosemite National Park shows some real wisdom in the thinking of the people who laid out that park boundary of incorporating the entire watershed within the park boundary.